Uh, we started this series last week, and so I just want to give a quick recap. Uh, what do we mean by growing in wholeness in this church? As we look through following Jesus together, we spent a, a period of time on that line. This is our vision statement. And the second line, growing in wholeness. We believe that following Jesus, making your life reorientate around the way of Jesus, means that you change your life. That means transformation, that Jesus didn't die on a cross that you go to some uh, cloud in the sky, but actually his kingdom would come in through you, that actually you would be transformed because he died, you died with him, and now the true reality is that you are resurrected into new creation. Is that good news today? So no matter how tired you feel on a Sunday morning, let me tell you today, you are a new creation. Let me remind you that you are not what you used to be, thank God, and we are transforming into something brand new, and it takes time. But the beautiful thing about what it means for growing is, is that we have His power. We, based out of Second Peter, that said this, His divine power has given us access to life and godliness. It's His divine power. His divine power, to be partakers of the divine nature that God didn't hold it all for himself to rule and reign. His constant call, his invitation to say, come, be part of a family. You were saved into a family. That is what your salvation was all about. You were saved into a family and you are now part of the family business. And the family business is to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And it's His power that does it. We need to know that we are loved. We need to know that His authority. And it is our action. A lot of times we want the Matrix download, the Amazon Next Day delivery, the Netflix binge. We want the show right now. God, why won't you give it to me? And after decades, sometimes we feel like, why can't I overcome certain things? We come against those trials. But it is our action. And, and Peter knows that because of these amazing promises, make every effort to add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And this is the beautiful thing about what we mean by wholeness. So growing is his power and our action. But the vision is agape love. What we mean by wholeness is that you will become a sacrificial love for another person. That's the vision. Because a lot of times when I say growing in wholeness, oh, this church is about my blessing, my peace, my well-being. And God is totally about that, right? God fills us with good things. He cannot help but give us good things. But I want to tell you today, that is just the beginning. He wants you to become a vessel of love to the world. That's why Jesus said this new command I give to you. Hey, a new way of thinking is to love one another as I have loved you. Love one another in such a way that world will know by how you love one another, they will know that you're my disciple. And so wholeness means that we grow in his power, our action to be agape love to this world world. Welcome to our church community. Imperfect as it is, we desire for a vision of wholeness that transforms worlds. But it's only through following Jesus that we can grow in wholeness. And this is why they wonderfully layer together. And so as we talk about the vision, which is from faith to love, we are all on this journey. Wherever you are on the journey, you are so welcome here today. Whether you are just at the beginning and you feel like that's a long list, welcome. Or if you have been walking this for decades and it still feels like a long list, welcome. 
Because we are all in progression from faith to agape love. And the attributes of these is holistic growth. We don't just transform our heart. We transform our mind, our heart, and our body and spirit, our emotions. We want to talk about emotions this month as well, and going into next month. We want to talk about holistic transformation that makes us transformed. Because your heart is not enough. Your mind is not enough. Your body is not enough. Your spirit isn't. Your whole being needs to be reorientated into the way of Jesus. Does that make sense this morning? So we're on a journey together, and we just invite you. So would you stand for the reading of the Word today? Uh, We stand to honor the Word of God. And we are finding ourselves in a well-known passage today. And I'd invite you to make sure that we don't just gloss over such a well-known passage, but to lean in. And so the passage is today. So there is, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, would you complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Again, let's just put our hands up before us. God, we are recognizing again. We are thankful for your presence that is here today. We are thankful for the transformative work that every time we gather There is a peace that transforms in our hearts, slowly but surely, steady obedience. Lord, we want to have new eyes today. We don't want to get shut down in, oh yeah, I know that verse and and, whatever that is. But God, would you open our minds? And so we actually pray with our hands out, God, would you open our minds today? Would you open our hearts today? Would you open our ears today to something brand new? Holy Spirit, You are the only one who can unlock our hearts. And all you need is a yes. And so, God, we surrender today our thoughts, our preconceived ideas. And we say, God, let the Scripture read us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Please be seated. So we are talking about the mind of love today. We're going to be speaking about mind, then the will next week, and then after that, emotions, body, and spirit. And so today, the mind of love. And I think it would be good to give a definition of what do we mean by mind. Um, It is not your physical brain I'm talking about today. The mind is the immaterial. Your mind is what drives your attentions. Um, It's your way of thinking that you have. Uh, It's your capacity to create belief systems and perceptions about the world. Your mind is what you fix your attention on. So your mind actually governs your brain. Your mind directs your attention to what you're thinking right now. Um, Our mind shapes our brain. What I like to say is a saying, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. 
We don't see the world as it is, actually. We actually see the world as we are through story of origin, um, through how different teachings, influences in our lives. We have glasses on. We like to think that we see neutral, but we really don't. And that's because we process, now get this, 70,000 thoughts a day. So you thought you felt tired today? Yeah, you're probably about at the 20,000 mark so far. And some of you are probably even higher than that. Uh, 75,000 thoughts your mind is processing into different places and forming your brain every single day. To let you know, there is 45,000, they believe, being negative thoughts. 45,000 negative thoughts. There is 86,000 seconds in a day. You're almost a second and a half, almost two seconds, you're thinking a negative thought about yourself. And you don't even know it. And that is transforming your brain. You have a hundred billion neurons firing every single time you process something. And I am, this is way above my pay grade, right? You know, neuroscience, I'm just a pastor. But neuroplasticity is a real thing. Because every time you create a thought, your neurons fire together. And as they fire together, they wire together. And as they wire together, they create what I like to envision, rivers, canals. And they begin to repeat over and over again. And so we naturally fall into thoughts of rivers traveling through our minds. You ever found it so hard to change your mind? Well, some of you have grand canyons of thoughts that have been repetitively over and over and over and over and over and over again in a thought pattern that is extremely hard to transform. And just to add to that, more than ever, we have information. Uh, contention for your attention is a real thing. Our devices are not working for you. They are actually working against you to transform you, to make you think a certain way, to guide your attention into the way that a world wants you to think. Never more have we needed to understand what the mind of love really is all about. Because your thoughts have incredible power over the direction of your life. Your thoughts have incredible power over the attention of your life. And in this cultural moment that we're finding ourselves about a mind of love, the world also wants you to have a certain mind of love. It has an agenda for your life as well as Jesus does. And we're going to be today looking at what is the mind that the world is wanting to hold us to and what is the mind that God means for us to do. Lost it. Next slide. Can you go to that, Rach? I don't know. My, my wonderful technology, right? It doesn't always work. It was working beautifully, and now it decides not to work. So coddling of the American mind. Coddling meaning overprotective. Now, the authors didn't quite like the title, but the booksellers say, hey, this will get people's attention. But what they mean by coddling of the mind is cultural observation that we are increasingly protecting our minds from things that are harmful, things that are dangerous in this world. And we are just saying, no, we don't want that in our lives. We're seeing it in council culture. Anything that's negative or anything that's even trying to go against the narrative, we slam, we break down, we say, get out, remove from this place. And this ever increasing uh, removal has good intentions, right? Like we don't want evil in this world. We don't want uh, anger and hate. We want to experience real love, acceptance, and equality. We want to experience those things. But it's 
bad ideas that are coming forward and are setting up a generation for failure. And this is their cultural observation, and it's a really good book. Give it, give it a, a read. But one of the thoughts they were trying to understand was, and this is a general phrase, what doesn't kill you actually makes you weaker. Now, we all know, I don't know, for those in the room, dating myself a bit here, Kelly Clarkson, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like, I'm sure some of the women are like yelling it in the car, screaming it along. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that was the narrative that we have really grown up with our entire lives. But actually, there is a subtle narrative that says what doesn't kill you actually makes you weaker. You're actually just to avoid the whole thing. Because even you've been through suffering, you're still limping. It didn't help you at all. And this subtle message of avoid it and find your truth instead is beginning to build. And it is actually coddling the American mind. Next slide. This is just a quote from uh, the book there. It says this, a culture that allows the concept of safety to creep in so far, so the culture of safety, to creep in so far that emotional discomfort is equated to the same as physical danger. Like, you're going to die, and I don't feel so good. They are equating the same traumas on level plane together, saying they are all bad. We should just avoid any discomforts. And it encourages people to systematically protect one another from the very experience that embedded in daily life that they need in order to become a strong and healthy person. Because what doesn't kill you, go to the, uh, stay on the side of um, what doesn't kill you does make you stronger. Actually, the adversities that we face We are made that when we go against hardships, when we go against things that are difficult, we actually grow. Creation tells us this. Trees grow in the winter. Their roots go deeper. During a wind, they will grow and grow stronger. In adversity, creation grows. And so we've got to be so careful of these things that we are going for in that space. The uptick, and this is something that I was speaking with a, a youth uh, pastor this week who pointed me to this book. He said as part of his youth group, he's noted middle school students are becoming more violent. So in the Robertson School District, they are noticing an uptick of violence in their schools. Now, why has that happened? Well, during their formative years, they were separated because of COVID, and they were still told the narrative that you're special, uh, your way, your truth, you go follow your way, and then they were brought back together again, still with that narrative, but without relational coping skills, and now we're seeing an uptick in some of the violence that's happening. Because we, when you haven't been given adversity, you don't know how to react, and your natural kind of emotions just explode out of you. And so the mind that is trained to think or feel desires of what you want, with no resilience, it creates fragile people. We're creating a generation of fragile people. And I'm not here pointing the finger. Please like, understand that, right? Like, I'm millennial. And normally the finger's pointed at us. Helicopter parenting is a term now. Uh, bulldozer parenting. Helicopter meaning that you just hover and protect every single movement. Bulldozing means that you make away. You don't let them have any struggle. You make the best possible pathway. Again, good intentions, right? Because we want to be caring people for one another. But actually we 
stop the growth that is so desperately needed. Uh, the world is desiring the king, kingdom, kingdom principles without the king. It's the kingdom without the king, Mark says. says. So I think such a good description of what's happening. Post-Christendom world, which we are growing more and more, we want the ideas of Christianity that formed our school systems, our justice, and all the other spaces, but we don't want the king. We don't want the relationship with God. We just want our, what we think is good. And so this idea is nothing new at all. There has always been a war on your mind. And Adam and Eve, this is the same principle. We're just going back to Genesis 3 right here. Because in the beginning, God created the world, co-labored with Adam and Eve. And there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. God said, don't eat of the tree of the good and evil, but eat of the tree of life. And so over time, we don't know time frames, but there was a reality that when a serpent came and spoke a a lie, a twist, a half-truth into the ear of Eve and said, if you eat this, you will become like God. And in this moment, they eat the fruits. And I was thinking about this space because when they ate of the fruit, if the lie was true, suddenly we would see humanity flourishing at its best, right? Because if the truth was that you would be like God then you would have an opportunity to see success. You have both good and evil. You are like God now. Let's go just a couple of slides on Genesis chapter 3. This is the result. Genesis 3, then their eyes were both opened. And you're like, oh my gosh, illumination. You are like God. But instead we see this. And they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig trees Uh, together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called the man and said to him where are you don't you love that the voice of the father coming to seek out saying where are you God coming into the situation of brokenness And he said, I heard, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, (laughs) shift blaming, (laughs) the woman (laughs) who gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Next slide. The reality is we have a mind of self. That's what was invited into the Garden of Eden, a mind of self to say, we don't need you, God, anymore. We want to be like you, removing the king from the kingdom. We want the Garden of Eden for ourselves. We want to rule and reign. And they chose what was good and evil. They decided what was good and evil. Notice, as we talked about that language, what was good and evil. They determined that good was that I need to separate myself The good thing to do was to hide myself, separate myself from God, hide myself, hide the shame, cover myself up. That's a good idea. And Adam's moment of good idea, hey, let's shift the blame. And that hasn't stopped. That has not stopped in humanity that when we void ourselves of God, we will always go to a mind of self. We will always determine what is good and evil. We will always separate, we will hide, and we will blame shift. 
Is that not the cultural moment that we see in America right now? Divisive of unity. We are not the United States. We are the divided states of America. Where God is not king of his throne, we will always separate, we will always hide, and we will always blame the other party. That is the cultural moment that we live in. Because pride is at the center. We go to the next slide. The reality is, is that we have pride versus love. The world doesn't, wouldn't call it pride, but it would call it pride. We call it pride if observe it. We are prideful people. So I want to do just a quick little test. Every eye closed because no nudging or anything like that. And so let's just kind of bring us on a scale. How prideful maybe we go. So bring up in your mind a tally. And every time I see, say something that you agree with, put a tally next to that. So think for a second, do you long for a lot of attention? So put a score next to you. If you think, man, I don't like not having the attention on me. Do you become critical of those who succeed? Do you start to tear them down a bit? Well, they're not actually that good. I know, I know about them, actually. <laughs> I, know, I know the truth. Do you have to always win? Check for me. Do you bend truths to make yourself look good? Are you tempted to answer no to keep your score low? Are you excited for the person next to you to see how prideful they are? Some sniggering. Do you have a hard time acknowledging you were wrong? Do you have a hard time doing tasks that are beneath you? Is your pattern of conversation waiting for the other person to stop talking so you can? It bothers me that I do have something good. It bothers me when I do something good and I don't get the credit for it. I have a hard time not sharing my charitable acts with a social media click there. Do you tend to gossip? Are you more entitled than thankful? Do you feel better about yourself than others? Do you feel worse than others? Come back to the room. So if you scored anywhere from 1 to 15, congratulations, you have pride. And if you put zero, we really have to have a talk after the service. <laughs> we all suffer with prides. Um, and as a reminder, you have thoughts that are incredibly powerful. You have thoughts towards yourself constantly that are incredibly powerful. But on the uptick, you have an incredible power over where your thoughts can go. Your thoughts can transform you, but you have an incredible power of where you direct your intention today. So let's go to the next slide there. So we are in the context of Philippians. And Paul is speaking to a people who are in disunity. They are awesome though. He, he started this church up, this riffraff of people. Um, it was a, a merchant, a rich business woman who was awesome. She started the church with Paul along with uh, a woman who would uh, do spiritual things, got radically healed and saved, delivered from demons. And then you had a jailer who uh, saw the, um, the dedication of 
Paul and Silas in the jail and were so convicted by their loyalty to Jesus that he gave his life to Jesus and his whole family. So imagine this kind of group of mixed match of people. Philippi is an incredibly multicultural, diverse community. One of the hot spots of like New York going on. And so this group of people Paul fervently loves, writing from jail, and he has this commission to these people. So if we just go to the next slide there. Just work through this verse in what Paul wants us to know about love. He's writing to a community who he wants them to love well. And he says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, being full accord of one mind. Encouragement in Christ. That's the beautiful phrase that Paul used over and over again in Scripture. In Christ. Because you have a new identity. Because you have a new creation purpose. That's good news. I'll keep saying that over and over again until someone like gives me a thorough good amen. Because that's the truth I need you to leave with today, that you are a new creation, that you are not your old ways, that you are a new identity. In Christ. And in Christ, because of that, you have a powerful love, an agape. Any comfort from this self-sacrificial love which Jesus went to the cross for, that love pulled him to the cross. He died and rose again. That love caused that kind of comfort in our lives. Any participation in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. So not only are we a new family, a new identity, but now we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just die for your sins. He died so that you could have a new heart, so that you could have the Holy Spirit inside you, which means you can do far more than you could ever dream or imagine. The same power that conquered the grave lives inside each and every one of us today. That's good news. And so because of that, we have an affection, a sympathy. In other words, we could combine those words, a compassion. A passion that is on mission to care for those around us. Notice the language, all from above. Hold on to that for later. In Christ, the Holy Spirit, all given from above so that you could be a different person. And Paul then says, hey, so if there is, in other words, the actual translation is, you know this, Philippi. You know this community. I have taught you. I've walked with you. I have seen this expression of all these diverse nations, tribes, and tongues coming together in Christ, in a new identity, with a new spirit. And I have seen some amazing things that you do. Because this is the joyful letter. This is the most times that Paul has joy spoken about. He so loves these people. These guys are apex community that he loves and adores. But wait. He says but complete my joy. There is a a joy that is not full yet. You are doing all these amazing things, but you are lacking one thing. Be of same mind, having same love, being full accord of one mind. There is a cool progression that is worth checking out in all of this. I love the word be full accord. It's imagine like a harp with all these different strings playing together. That beautiful picture of what the community of God is meant to be. 
a unifying of sound, all different sounds coming together, making a beautiful melody. But notice, it starts, same mind, one mind. Because Paul, over and over again, will know that transformation has to first come through the mind. What does he say in Romans 12? Renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and not of this world. That we need to be that. But I love the goal to complete joy. So it's not enough for you to live as a Christian by yourself, but actually to complete the joy of the Lord is for you to be in unity with all different types of people. To be together in all different tribes and areas. That's the mind is the gateway to the transformation. Next slide. So three and four, he says this. So he gives identity, and then he gives action. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to their own interests, but also the interest of others. So Paul's doing a little technique here. He's giving the two uh, kind of counter expectations on the outside to draw you to the center action. He's given two negative reasons. Do nothing else, selfish ambition, and stop counting others less than yourself. These are the two measures which he's bringing because he's trying to center us in, in humility. And there's a beautiful poem that follows at, because Paul's mindset is this. This is what he wants you to take away from this. If we're to have a mind of love, we are also, and what we need to center ourselves on is a mindset of humility. We need a mindset of humility. And so two points I just want to take from this text today that we can work on together. Next slide. Humility holds right understanding of how God sees you. I don't think you maybe went to that point straight away, but humility holds right understanding of God, how God sees you. I love the words that carry on in verse 5. This is having this mind among you. He says in verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to grasp. We cease to grasp when we know what holds us. We cease to try and perform when we know who deeply loves us. When I know that I don't have to perform, that I don't have to have all the answers, Humility says, I am not about myself. It's about you, God, and how you see me. This is the starting block of humility. If anything, you can take this away. Humility starts with intimacy. Humility starts with intimacy. Jesus came with that same characteristic when he went to fight the devil in the desert place. What did he do? The first attack was identity. Hey, Jesus performed for me. Turn the bread, sorry, the rocks into bread. He said, no, I'm not going to. It's not. The bread of life comes from the Father. Because what happened before? Jesus had just been baptized, affirmed, this is my beloved who I am well pleased with. Some of you need to hear that today, that Jesus is well pleased with you. Well pleased with you. And you're like, I don't feel it. I don't think that at all. But that is the reality that we have in Christ, that he is well pleased with you. And that identity of well pleased, he went and fought. What the enemy tried to do was to bring self-centeredness. The garden was all over again, that Jesus through the devil was about to fight. And the devil brought a twisted lie. Hey, your 
you're enough. You're enough by yourself. You go do this. You do it by yourself. And he knew, he knew deep down that God, the beloved who had bestowed upon him, that was his source. Humility holds right understanding of how God sees you. Do you know the affection of God for you? Do you know how deeply loved you are right now? Because comparison causes all sorts of issues. I remember during the pandemic, for me, um, all live streams went up. And I couldn't help myself. I started comparing different live streams. And some of them were like, oh, we're doing all right. That's okay. And then other times I was like, we are the worst. What am I even doing? And I just, I would go into these constant rivers of just funk and joy because it was all based. And we all know this, right? Because the comparison will always come in. Because if you've got nothing else to measure, if you are self-made, your comparison will always be to others. But if it's God-centered, this is the only comparison you ever want. What does God call me? What does God call me? And so we have to be people that don't compare ourselves. God is the author of your story. And your story is really good. Don't live. Come on, let's get an amen there. Like your story that he wants to pull in and through you is your story. It's not what other people want to tell your story to be. You're not this. You're not doing that. And I have a hard enough time trying to tell my own story of what I should be like, let alone other people's stories, right? And God said, I've got an amazing story that I want to tell through you. Let humility bring you to a point that you're not self-made, but actually you are God-made. And because of that reality, you have a story that he wants to tell. Only you can tell you. And I just love this. Live your life in his smile. Live your life in his smile. In his delight over you. That is the posture that we have because of Jesus. Because now we are made righteous because of Jesus. We now have a God that smiles on us. It is all faith that we even receive anything. It's the faith. I don't know, for some of you, it's like, that just doesn't make sense. Again, the narrative of the world is forming your mind where you have to be good enough to be accepted. And God says, you need to surrender your mind to me. You need to accept the identity that I have, trusting in it, living into it, and then you'll start to see it. But humility has to first start with intimacy. Humility has to start with intimacy. And I'm, I'm actually really proud of you, church. Because I love the, the feedback that I get from people who are new who say, I just feel so welcomed by people. I feel like genuine affection for people. And I'm not to boast our horn, but to say that was from God. God is doing something in our community more and more that when we come into relationship community, that we see all the flaws and cracks of one another and we say, I choose to love you. That's marriage 101. I see the cracks, and that's the gift. I see more of your cracks, more and more, but I still love you. I still love you. I still want to see this grow. Second point today. Humility isn't greatness within. It's greatness through you. Have you heard about the humble brag culture? Humble brag, like we kind of say how good we are, but I don't like to brag. Like, uh, you know, I can bench press, whatever, but, you know, don't like to brag. Or I can do this, this, and this, but I don't like to brag. I can cook this amazing meal. It took me like five minutes, and you're just like, that's incredible. Like, I don't like to brag, though. Like, we, we say all these things with a humble brag undertone because we think 
greatness, humility is greatness toned down. We think humility is greatness toned down. And that's not what the gospel is. Because that's still self-focused. You are still self-focused. Even though you're humbling yourself by saying, well, I don't like to brag. I can, I can shoot from wherever. I can do whatever skills. But I don't like to brag. That is not what humility is. Humility isn't greatness within. It isn't a lessening of your greatness. But I love this phrase that we know well. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less on yourself. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking less on yourself. And I love that phrase that Paul uses to conclude this kind of second thought that we have. Let each of you look not only to your own interests. Little side caveat for my people who are martyrs in the room. Who are those who serve and serve and serve and eventually become hardened in heart. Because you give and you give and you give. It does say in scripture you have interest towards yourself. For the airport, uh, airplane analogy that we are to take air in. Take air in. He says, not only your own interest, so you can have interest in yourself. But not only the interest of yourself, but actually the priority is the interest of others. And I believe the level of interest that you show in another person is the level of humility that you actually carry. The level of interest that you actually have in another person is actually the level of humility that you actually action through. Remember, it's humility is not greatness within. It's actually how much greatness flows through you. And I think one of the greatest acts that we can do is just listen to another person. To be fully present to them, to actually engage your eyes with them. And I know on a Sunday morning, don't expect a really good conversation with me. If you have a deep, meaningful thing, please, I have every other hour in the week, please contact me and give that deep, meaningful thought because I'm running around like headless chicken, trying to work on that more and more. But this is just not the place that I'm going to be able to have a meaningful conversation. I find myself like this. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's hard to engage people. But how much do we carry the hurry into our weeks? Actually, do I believe that this is the most meaningful person in my life right now? That I value above everything else? I think that's the greatest power through us. To give identity to another person. To give love and affirmation in who they are. And so my challenge to you is get interested and stay curious. Because actually you're never going to find... You're never going to hear, oh, that was a really humble person. What you will hear is, I love how engaged they are. I love that they ask questions about me. I love that they made me feel special. Because the world is, remember, the world is saying self-love, pride is the way. Escape, remove all dangerous things. A mind of love says, I see you as great. I see you made in the image of God. Yes, we are not going to agree. Remember that full accord? There might be some minors and there might be some things that you don't quite like. And that's the joy of the Lord. That it comes together and God makes this amazing sound of all these different sounds. And I can't, imagine, I can't wait for heaven to hear the sound of all creation singing to him. It's going to be like a sound that you've never heard before. And you're going to need new ears to hear it. And I think that that principle needs to start here and now where we take the differences, but we value people. 
Beliefs and identity are two different things. Because remember, identity is not coming from God anymore, and so we identify ourselves in our sexuality, in our belief systems. That's why the spirit, the religious spirit of politics is so strong right now. Because a world, a country that is not basing itself in identity in God will form it in belief systems. And so when we attack belief systems, that's why people get so offended. You're offending me. You're not your belief systems. In fact, you're a child of God. In fact, it's your love deeply. But we can disagree on different belief systems. And this is what makes the gospel so wonderful. This is what makes the gospel so compelling and beautiful. If we would live into it, because it is not easy. Because we've got pride. I want the last word. I want the last action. Like, I want to hold it, right? Amen? Oh, real quiet. Okay, so we're in the deeps right now, right? We're getting into the convictions, or you're just not listening to me, and now I just woke you up. Either way, it's good. Either way, it's good. Because here I am versus there you are. We've grown up in a culture that have said, here I am. I remember coaching kids, and it's always like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Even as kids, hey, Dad, look at me. And the thing is, we never grow out of that culture. And we carry that into, look at me, this is what I purchased. Look at me, this is how I work. Look at me, look at my achievements. We never grow out of, here I am. And where God says, would you change your narrative and say, there you are. When we come into a room like Point View Church, we don't say, here I am. We say, there you are. There you are. There you are. There you are. The mind of love. And so to listen is to give power to the person. Actually stay curious. Like check yourself. Are you waiting for the person just to finish their sentence so that you can bring your input? I challenge you, if you're that kind of person, and I can fall into that 100%, would you stay curious? Don't give your feedback. Ask a question. Tell me more about. Bring that question in. Don't come with your input. Don't bring your connection. Bring your curiosity. Bring your curiosity. Not your connection to the idea, but your curiosity to the idea. Jesus lived this life. Not my will, but your will be done. So as we close today, 